Okay, so guys, um, we're going to continue our victory series. I believe that this might actually be the last segment for our victory series. And yeah, it's just been such a great time. And I really feel like the Lord has done so much over the weeks. And um, we've just heard so many countless testimonies of people being set free from all sorts of stuff. And and also taking authority over um, their households, even over their own personal situations that have been causing them a bit of trouble. Um, but today, we are going to talk about prayer. And while I was preparing this week, I tried to think of many different titles for my sermon. Um, I literally, for at first, I thought, let me call it Effective Prayer. Um, I was like, okay, let me call it Faithful Prayer. Let me call it Prayers That We Should Be Praying, but I thought that that's too passive-aggressive. Um, and then next, I was like, let's call it shifting prayers. And then those who love to pray. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a whole list, literally, it's on my phone. And then I decided to land on a persistent prayer. Yes, and I definitely exercise persistence in order to find this title. So glory be to God. Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. And I'll be reading from the NLT version. When you're there, say yeah. On the chat, y'all can say yeah as well. Y'all there? That wasn't part of the... <laughs> yeah, there. Remember, it's yeah. Yeah, we'll practice. We definitely need to practice that one. Okay, Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, and Jesus is sharing a story. It goes, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't think God will surely give justice to So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Amazing. So this reminded me of a show called Super Nanny. Has anyone watched Super Nanny before? I hated that show. <laughs> but yeah, Super Nanny, um, normally it, it, it showcases a family who has, you know, quite troublesome kids. Um, I don't know a more political way of saying that. <laughs> but kids who are, yeah, they're quite a bit of work. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> kids who are quite a bit of work. And, you know, um, there's several episodes of Super Nanny, but it basically follows the same theme. Like, in particular, there'll be a kid um, who wants something from his mum, and perhaps he wants a snack, but the mum is like, no, you've had um, way too much chocolate. 
And the kid is basically um, saying, mom, give me the snack now or else. And the mom is like, what is or else? And the kid is basically chanting, screaming, I want a snack, I want a snack. And it's like knocking off vases and everything. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's just making a complete mess. And it gets to the point where the mom relents and she's like, fine, you can have the chocolate bar, the bounty bar, because it's the best chocolate in the world. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, my bounty lovers, hey. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. God will forgive you. I'll be praying for you. It's okay. Bounty's the best chocolate, and this kid knew it as well. But anyway, so the kid um, cried out, and the mum was like, finally, I'll, fine, fine, I will just give you the chocolate bar. And I just kind of feel like this is kind of the situation that Jesus is talking about with the judge, where a widow came to him and said that I want justice. And the judge was like, listen, I don't care about you. I don't care about your God. Just leave me alone. But the woman was literally, the widow, she was um, constantly requesting at him, saying, give me justice, give me justice. And it got to a point where the guy, the judge, was so tired of the constant request. And he said, do you know what? Just so I can sleep, I did my paraphrase, just so I can sleep, I'm just going to give you whatever you want. And she made sure there was justice for the widow. She wearied him out with a constant request. And, you know, Jesus is telling this story. Why is he telling this story? How is this story meant to encourage his followers, his disciples, to carry on praying? I think, firstly, Jesus is making the point that God is not like this unjust judge. God is not like this judge that doesn't actually care about you and who's not bothered about your welfare. And Jesus is essentially saying that if this unjust judge, he does not fear God and even love people, if this unjust judge can still honour the request of this widow, how much more God, who actually cares about you, who loves you, and unlike the judge, is eager to answer your prayer. But let's be honest, for a lot of us, we are not like this persistent widow that we read in Luke chapter 18. For some of us, maybe we're like the disciples who might get discouraged easily. And after an hour of prayer, maybe even some awkward silence, we're like, forget it, God, I tried. I tried to pray, but obviously you're not answering my prayer and I'm going to find my own way out. Or maybe you're like me, that session where I have friends. <laughs> you know, I have sisters, I have family. You know, I have, you know, I have a spiritual mentor that can help me out. And these people aren't bad, but often something that's so powerful like prayer, we treat it like the last resort. And this talk, I just want to encourage us to pick up prayer again and to be persistent in it. Amen? Okay, so let's turn to Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to look at quite an unusual story, but it's very interesting. So when you're there, say, yeah. Are you sure you're there? Because, oh, so I can see you. Okay, okay, I see your phone. <laughs> okay, okay. So last week, um, Ika spoke about being a watchman, a.k.a. a watcher, and she was incredible. She did a great job. Yeah, she, 
She did a fantastic job. And she basically shared that the role of a watchman is to warn others of upcoming danger that might occur. Um, and to literally, as Ezekiel says, to sound the alarm. So if a watchman sees danger, so just imagine a watchman would normally climb up on the top of the building and if they see like the enemy about to attack, they would basically sound the alarm and say, get into position and stuff. And the, this is a physical watchman, but there's also spiritual watchmen who basically warn people of, of the enemy's tactics. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, scripture says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And over the last few weeks, you know, in our victory series, we've been doing a series talking about spiritual warfare. And we basically talked about like how for all of us, we are in a spiritual fight. And there are actually dark forces who are trying to frustrate the plans of God and who are trying to bring destruction to people and to this world. And you might think it's quite evident even in your own life and in the round and, and in the life and the, and in the world around you. And scripture says that the level, the evil that you see in, in so many different places, the evil on all levels is spearheaded by someone called the devil a.k.a. Satan. And the devil basically has plans. In Genesis um, 2 or 3, um, it talks about how the devil is crafty and he basically orchestrates plans to derail individuals, people groups, and nations. So as a result, it's the job of a spiritual watchman, it's the job of a watchman, someone that the Lord has anointed to see, to warn other people of the devil's attacks and to warn other people of the plans that the enemy has for um, God's people. So as a result, God's people can get into position and see those plans frustrated. Amen? And one way that we can see the devil's plans frustrated is through prayer. And we can see an example of Daniel 10 as Daniel prays to the Lord after seeing something. So Daniel 10. So yeah, Daniel 10, verse 1, it says this. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshah, had another vision. He understood the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future. Times of war and of great hardship. I'm going to scroll to verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. It says, on April 20... Actually, sorry, we'll just go in systematic order. Verse 2. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three weeks. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23rd, my birthday... <laughs> I accept oat flat white and flapjacks. God bless you. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great um, Tigris and at Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen, cloven with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his face flames like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast people. Okay, for the sake of time, let's go to verse 10. It says then, 
Just then, a hand touched me, the same man, and lifted me, still trembling to my knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. 14. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Okay, I quickly just want to recap. So Daniel, who is probably a watchman, he sees a vision that concerns him. He sees a vision of his people going through a time of wars and great hardship and suffering. And Daniel was in total despair. It says here that he ate no food. He had no, he used no lotion, so he must have been very depressed because your elbows would be very ashy. And... You know, he basically just felt so overwhelmed by his grief. And it says on April 23rd, an angelic messenger came from God and said to him, let's read verse 12 again. It says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. From the first day, you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven, and I have come in answer to your prayer. So Daniel here did two things. First of all, he prayed for understanding. And second of all, he humbled himself before God. And I believe that these are two key things that we need to be persistent in prayer. Number one, he prayed for understanding. You know, Daniel didn't just assume that he knew what was going on. He didn't just jump to conclusions, but he asked God, God, would you give me understanding of what is actually happening? And, you know, it's really easy, especially when we're in times of hardship, to just jump the gun and to try to find a, our own way of, of, of freedom and try to pave our own ways. But scripture says that we see in part, we have a very limited and skewed perspective. And in John chapter 8, verse 44... Um, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, scripture says that the devil is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, essentially saying he's fully proficient in lying. That's his, that's his language. I, I speak a bit of Yoruba and English. Those are my languages. And it's saying that, <laughs> and it's saying that the devil's language is lies. That's what he does. And the thing is, so if we don't take time to, un to get understanding from God, especially in times of hardship, you could potentially believe a lie that can throw you off course. 
So that's why it's important that number one, we say, God, what are you saying in this particular situation? You just pause. You don't just move erratically like, okay, 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 this is what I need to do. You're like, no, God, what is happening? Can you show me clearly what I am dealing with? And something that's really um, helpful for me is that, God, would you just um, break down any lies that I have perhaps have just believed um, subconsciously? I just assumed. Would you take away my assumptions about this situation? Okay, secondly, what did Daniel do? He humbled himself before God. And really simply, he acknowledged that, God, I don't know anything. We don't know anything. We can't fix this. It's beyond us. And there's times, um, I remember this worship leader saying that, consider it, count it, or, or joy when God is your only option. How powerful is that? Count it all joy when God is your only option. No friend, sister, brother, pastor, mayor, prime minister can get you through this. It's only God. And it's at that point of humility, utter humility, that we see the intervention of God. And because of Daniel's heart and posture of humility to gain understanding from God, what was the result? Daniel 10 says that an angel was dispatched. An angel was dispatched because of these things, which just shows how necessary and powerful prayer is. You mean to tell me that because some guy got into a room for three weeks and prayed and cried out to the Lord, a spiritual being that God created to carry out his good works, who had the power to combat evil, was sent because of Daniel's petitions. And the angel, when he came to Daniel, said in verse 13, it says these words, But for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince, with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So some scriptures, instead of the spirit prince, say the prince of Persia. And obviously, this is not a physical prince because there's no man or physical prince that's strong enough to stop an angel or to block his way. So this is talking about a spiritual entity that's basically blocking the way of, of this angel from coming, to, from coming to deliver the message to Daniel. And, and basically, this angel... You can just imagine that, that this angel was being blocked by, um, by this spiritual being that another archangel called Michael had to step in to help him out. And once again, I just want to reiterate the importance of persistence because it says after 21 days, the angel was freed to come to Daniel. After 21 days... Daniel prayed for 21 days. So what would have happened if Daniel stopped on the 20th day? What would have happened if Daniel said, you know what, forget it. 20 days in, even 20 days is a long time. Let's be honest. Two days in, God, you haven't answered me. I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? Wow, 21 days, I'm just deep in it. 
my goodness, 21 days. But just imagine what would have happened if he didn't wait those 21 days. He might have not have received that message from the angel and be encouraged by it. And scripture doesn't really tell us what would have happened if he didn't continue to pray. But we can see a positive correlation where because he prayed, an angel came to him to encourage him and to give him insight of what God was doing. And a friend of mine said to me um, over the weekend, actually, that I am just going to pray until something shifts. And I just laughed (laughs) because when it comes to prayer, that's not really a formula when it comes to prayer. But there are moments where you have to be persistent in prayer until there is a shift. And we can see an example in 2 Kings chapter 13 when the Arabians came to attack the people of Israel. And the king of Israel basically came to prophet Elijah and was like, what should we do? What should we do? So the king of, um, so prophet Elijah gave, gave um, the king of Israel some arrows and he basically said, strike the ground. So the king of Israel basically took the arrows and timidly he just struck the ground only three times. And Prophet Elijah was angry at him and was like, why did you only strike it three times? Because basically um, him striking the ground was representative of how many times the Arabians would be defeated by um, the people of Israel. And Elijah said, if you had struck it five or six times, you would have gotten complete victory. But because you only struck it three times, you will only defeat the Arabians um, three times. And I believe that this is a really great analogy of why it is important to be persistent in prayer. When you strike the ground, this is what was happening. If he, if he struck the ground multiple times and was persistent, they would have seen complete victory. But I think before you can even be persistent in prayer, it's important to gain understanding from God. A friend of mine in university, he was, there was a time when he had some issues with his modules. And as a result, the university was essentially saying to him that uh, we don't think you can enter final year. You might have to take a year out. And I love the posture of my friend because my friend basically said before he did anything, before he, you know, got worried and stuff, he basically decided to pray. And his prayer was this. His prayer was like, God, is this a spiritual attack trying to stop me from finishing my degree and slow me down? Or number two, is this perhaps a blessing from you where you just want me to spend more time with you and to serve my local church community in the year break? And that's what he was saying to God. He says, you know, what is it? And through revelation, the Lord told him, it is an attack, and I want you to um, pray against it. So as a result, he, he gained understanding from God, and he started praying. He basically started praying against anything that's trying to frustrate um, his university degree. And a few weeks later, I think even a few days later, his university um, emailed him and said, you can come to Virginia, we're going to admit you. 
And that's just the value of actually gaining understanding from God, not just praying in vain, but before anything happens, just saying, actually, God, what is actually going on here? (laughs) What are you trying to do through all of this? And am I missing something, essentially? Okay, really quickly, I want to talk to us about intercession. So many of us, we are familiar with the term intercession. We might even feel a personal call to be an intercessor. Maybe we don't even know what intercession is. Um, But I just want to say, regardless, as Christians, we're all called to intercede, whether you feel like you have a special um, gift in that or not. And Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says these words, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. I'll read that one more time. I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. So what is intercession? Intercession is petitioning God to intervene on someone else's behalf. Intercession is more than just, you know, saying some cute phrases and Christianese over and catchphrases over an individual. It's literally saying and fervently praying for an individual that God will intervene on their behalf. I remember one commentator basically saying intercession is a form of spiritual warfare because it's basically saying no to the status quo that's been happening in that individual's life. You're basically saying I'm going to step in between and I'm not going to allow this person to be tormented anymore. As a result, an intercessor is a representative. And we as Christians have a great intercessor. Can we guess who is our great intercessor? Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes. Sunday School 101. Well done. (laughs) So Jesus is our great intercessor. Why? Because he put on flesh, lived and suffered as a man in order to become the suitable sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He basically stepped in the way so we can have an opportunity to be reconciled to God. And even on the cross, Jesus, while he was on the cross, Jesus pleaded for God's mercy over those people who were laughing at him. Imagine, my guy is on the cross and, it's, and he's, he's bleeding, he's dying. And he still says these words that we find in Luke 23, verse 34. He says, Jesus said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, imagine. (laughs) So he's basically interceding on their behalf. And below him, the soldiers, you know, gambling over his clothes, saying who's going to get his clothes. And even though Jesus, many of us will know the story, even though Jesus defeated death, rose again and ascended to heaven and now sits on the right-hand side of God the Father, Hebrew chapter 7 verse 25 says he still continues to intercede on our behalf. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of all of us, to dwell with us. But he's in heaven, sat at the right hand side of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And what are some of the things that Jesus is interceding for when it comes to us? I believe it's this. I believe that Jesus is basically praying that God's will will manifest in our lives. That we will be able to endure 
there's this journey called life. We'll be able to be faithful in this journey. And if we look at the life of Jesus, what is the foundation of intercession? Simply, I believe the foundation of intercession is sacrifice. In order to become an effective intercessor, you need to be willing to sacrifice. And there are two main form, there's two main types of sacrifice. The first one is situational sacrifice, where you enter the person's actual situation. And this is what Jesus did with us. He entered our deprived world. He suffered with man. He was tempted like a man, lived with humanity. He entered our world. And as a result, he was a suitable sacrifice to die for us. He lived with us and he was able to redeem us through it. And our model, and there's model examples of situational sacrifice. For example, Jacqueline Pillinger, who's a missionary in Hong Kong. She's lived there for over 50 years, and she has shared the gospel. <clears throat> she shares the gospel with, with those who... She shares the gospel with, with gangsters in Hong Kong and serves the poor and also shares the gospel with them. And there's a particular story in her book where she was in Hong Kong and she didn't really feel like much was happening and she was working so hard. And she had been there for four years and people started taking note, the gangsters of the local area and the poor started taking notes um, that, wow, this lady, there's something different about her. And they said to her that, all these other mission organizations, they love to send people here, but they only stay here for six months. You know, they can't hack it. But you have been here for four years. You're broke. You've suffered with us, <laughs> literally. And they thought, they thought, truly, she must be the real deal. And their hearts opened towards her because she was willing to suffer with them. And that's what situational sacrifice looks like, suffering with others. What's another form of sacrifice? We have sympathetic sacrifice. And this is when you are committed to a person or a cause, but you can't enter their situation. For example, um, Joelle spoke about A21, and A21 has a great mission statement called, um, where basically the aim is to abolish modern slavery and those who have been human trafficked. And obviously, not all of us are going to have the opportunity to literally be in the front lines in different countries where um, human trafficking is so severe. We're not going to be able to literally liberate those slaves and stuff. But we do have an opportunity to partner where we are. For example, to go on the walk on October 16th and to basically spread awareness of modern slavery, even in our own um, city and country as well. And we also have the opportunity to give. And this is what sympathetic um, sacrifice looks like. And another biblical, and a biblical example of this is in Acts 12. When the church prayed for Peter, Peter was in prison, and obviously um, the church who loved him, they couldn't now say, we're going to enter prison with you. No, they couldn't do that. They were sympathetic towards him. So what happened? Scripture says that the church prayed earnestly. You know, I grew up in a Nigerian Pentecostal church, and we had night vigils, which means all day, all night, prayer. All day, all night, prayer. And I've been in one corner with my blanket and my pillow, 
on one hard chair, but you know, glory be to God. All day on that prayer, tongues and all sorts happening. And I can just imagine that this is how the church in Acts 12 were praying. They were saying, break those chains, Jesus. Break those chains. I can just imagine. And it says in Acts 12 that an angel broke the chains of Peter in prison, opened the prison doors. And imagine this church community, the Christian community there, were praying so fervently that when Peter was actually released, he knocked on the doors he knocked on the door of their gathering and they didn't actually believe it was Peter. They went on to carry on praying. Imagine. <laughs> so they completely missed it. <laughs> but this is what they did. They sacrificed with their time. So as an intercessor, you must be willing to sacrifice to some level because sacrifices are gestures of love and gestures of love precedes a move of God. I'll say that one more time. Sacrifices are gestures of love, and gestures of love precedes a move of God. And we can see this very clearly in a few examples in Scripture, where it says, Jesus moved with compassion, healed the sick. And again, it says, Jesus moved with compassion, multiplied bread to feed the hungry. And I don't know if you've met those people, but there's some people, like when they pray for other people, it's like the heavens open and they see so much fruit. They see addictions fall off those people. They see, um, you know, that person all of a sudden being favored. They see that person come into life. And sometimes I meet these people, I'm like, God, what is it about those individuals? Why is there so much fruit when they pray? And I think it's because they're willing to sacrifice. I think it's because they have a heart a lifestyle of sacrifice because I think this is the principle in in John chapter 15 verse 7 scripture says but if you remain in me and my words remain in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted I read that one more time but if you remain in me and my words remain in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted so Jesus being the you know the complete model of sacrifice. If you steward a lifestyle of sacrifice, you'll be able to um, hear more of his priorities. You'll be able to remain more in him. And as a result, by remaining in, in him, your heart starts to change and you will start to see the very things that's on Jesus's heart and, you, and you'll be able to pray the very things that Jesus would pray. Henceforth, your prayers will be granted. Do you understand what sacrifice does to us? It changes the way we think. It changes the way we process. And we become more like the picture of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I really feel like this is an opportunity for us as a church. You know, earlier this week, I actually felt like the Lord um, said... Um, just to some of us that we've been on the sidelines for too long. Maybe we have responded in sympathetic sacrifice, which is still very beneficial. But I actually felt like the Lord said to us, when are we going to pick up our boots and literally run with people? When are we going to suffer with people? And I actually... Um, 
I felt like there was a particular individual that has poverty, like in your world, there's poverty all around you. In your community, there's poverty all around you. And you're like, God, what can I do? Uh, maybe even in your family. And you're like, God, what can I do? The need is way too much. And I actually felt like the Lord was just encouraging to just give what you can. And I actually heard the Lord explicitly say say to me that if you give, I will amplify and increase your resources. Like I will actually amplify the offering that you give to other people and I'll make it stretch to help out more people in Jesus' name. So yeah, let's let's just um, partner with that, that the Lord wants us to move out of compassion. So this is the heart of intercession. And lastly, I just want to give some quick practicalities, especially because this is the end of our victory series. Probably, I think it is the end. (laughs) This is the end of our victory series. I just want to give some practicalities um, when it comes to praying for others. Um, Because I'm sure even with us, and especially other people around us, there's times when uh, we might have a relative or a friend or just someone in our work, um, someone in our life um, who perhaps is dealing with something that's crippling them. And you're just like, I don't, want, I don't know what it is um, about that particular individual, but I can just see that they're suffering internally. I can just see that there's turmoil in the heart and they're not at rest. And, you know, scripture actually says that we have been given the authority to actually set people free from any form of oppression. And Jesus went around setting people free from torment, from evil spirits that have been oppressing people. And in Matthew chapter 12, um, verse 29, if we turn there, um, let me just give some context. Matthew 12, verse 29. Um, Jesus just set free a man from it. Um, Jesus just set free a man who was um, tormented by an evil spirit. Um, scripture literally says he was demon possessed, and as a result, it caused him to be blind and mute. And Jesus, obviously having full authority, set the man free from this evil spirit. And here comes the Pharisees who opposed Jesus. And they weren't too happy that Jesus, of all people, set free this man. And they basically said, you know what, Jesus, the only reason you are able to set free this man from an evil spirit and from a demonic spirit is because you yourself, Jesus, are the king of demons. That's what they were saying. They're saying you can only set people free from evil spirits because you're Satan himself. That's what they're calling him, the king of demons. And Jesus was like, essentially, these people are so silly. And he says, how, and he says these words, how can a kingdom be divided against itself? If I was sick, if I was the king of demons, why would I cast out my own? Essentially, he's saying it's like an own goal. Why would I do that? Why would I jeopardize my kingdom? And it goes, and he continues with these words in verse 29, which is our focus. He says this, For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, only someone even stronger 
someone who can tie him up and then plunder his house. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, who is strong enough to, to set people free from evil spirits? Only someone else who is stronger can do that. And like I said before, Jesus has full authority to set the captives free from any pain, from any torment, from any oppression. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Jesus gave his followers, his disciples, the authority to do so as well. And the reason why I share this is because there are going to be people in your world, there might be people in your world right now who you just feel like the lights are being switched off in their life. Like they are just being tormented, they're just being crippled. And Jesus has given you the authority to set those people free. And we don't need to be weird about it. Honestly, it's just a part of our Christian walk. We don't need to be weird about it. And one of my friends, when he feels like there's someone in his world um, who perhaps um, is just struggling, it might even be an addiction or might just be a heavy form of oppression, my friend will simply just lay a hand on them and just say that, God, if there's anything that's, that is not of you, that's inflicting my brother or sister, would you set them free right now in the name of Jesus? Or maybe the Lord might actually give you um, an accurate word in terms of what's going through that person's life. You can literally just say, God, really simply, would you liberate my brother and sister from so on? And another example, another friend of mine literally just says, God, if there's, if there's anything in this person's life that does not reflect you, that's causing them harm, causing them pain, would you set them free from it in Jesus' name? Amen. And you just want to be asking the person while you're praying for them, how are you feeling? What do you feel like the Lord is doing? Is there anything else you want us to pray into? And just continue to pray for them. And if they feel like they're good, then, then hopefully all is fine. But when it comes to praying for others, it doesn't need to be weird. It doesn't need to be unusual. But on the flip side, we shouldn't run away and we shouldn't be like, ah, let me go and get the pasta. No, no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's just one of, it's just one of those things. And we live in a broken world. And obviously, we're going to meet broken people. And even ourselves carry a level of brokenness. And we even need other people to pray for us. So I just want to reiterate, you have the authority to do so. And if anyone would like more practicalities, um, you can feel free to speak to me after or speak to someone on team or email me at Wale, W-O-L-E, not Wale, Wale, <laughs> W-O-L-E at infantchurch.co.uk. Amazing. So I'm going to end it there, guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening. <laughs>